listening to Untold Stories of Perth, a special edition produced by the Centre for Stories. I didn't know that I had Chinese blood until I was 45 years old, but I remember vividly the conversation that I had with Mum. And uh, I said, Mum, have we got Chinese in us? She sort of looked a bit ashen and she was very stern. She said, your grandfather was a a French polisher with Washing Brothers. He worked with his brothers in uh, the Newcastle Street premises. And that's all I'm going to tell you. If you bring this subject up again, you will only upset me. In this episode of Untold Stories, we talk to David Kennedy, the author of Charles Washing and Racist Furniture, a book that traces the little-known history of his grand-uncle, a half-Chinese, half-English man who came to make his fortunes in furniture building in Perth at the turn of the 20th century. Eddie Marcus wrote a paper for Curtin University and in it he said, Charles Washing was a very prominent man who needs to be remembered and someone should write his autobiography. And uh, I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a crack at this. Our story begins with Charles Washing's Chinese father, Hua Xing, and his English mother, Louisa Myers, emigrating to Australia in the late 1800s. On the surface, it would seem his parents' worlds could not have been further apart. But in reality, Hua Xing was fleeing civil war and poverty from his native canton, while Louisa, his future wife, sought to escape the grim and gruelling working-class conditions of Victorian-era England. They both came to Australia looking for a better life, but soon found a nation rife with discrimination and contempt against anyone who wasn't white or European. You know, if you're Indigenous, you're different. If you're Chinese, you dress differently. And all those things that are totally different to European living, uh, I think, creates apprehension and fear a bit and also... The success of Chinese, they're very good shopkeepers and they'd work all hours, they you know, a lot longer hours than a patty and a pom. And that would also create, I think, contempt amongst the people and, you know, hatred towards them. But also I think it was just commonplace for people to be racist and it was a great acceptance of it. Charles Washing and his nine other siblings, unable to hide their Chinese ancestry, grew up in this harsh environment Charles was just an ordinary knockabout kid, as David described him, seeking a normal life. But when the family moved to Creswick, Victoria, where Charles's father, Hua Xing, began making and selling cabinets, it became clear that no one would buy from a company called Hua Xing. In an attempt to assimilate into European society, Charles's family changed their surname from Hua Xing to the far more English-sounding Washing. But it was the downturn in Victoria's market economy that finally pushed the washings to look elsewhere for better opportunities. Their eyes roamed to the west, to Perth. And so I think they decided that they'd send a forward scout, and that would be Charles. And he was only a kid, he was 18, 19 years old. And he came over to Perth to suss out the scene and see what it was like. Um, Perth, of course, compared to Melbourne, was very small, but had a brilliant future because, you know, you had the agriculture, the wheat, sheep, situation, but you also had gold mining in, in Kalgoorlie. So there was, there was a great future for Perth and they could see the growth. And with that growth came buildings. With those buildings came furniture. So I guess they did a lot of that thinking. 
Charles was a determined, innovative businessman, and he soon gained employment in Perth with a European furniture company. He worked for a company called Bickford and Lucas, and Bickford and Lucas were a European firm. They didn't have Chinese. He got in the door, but as soon as he did, uh, some of the cabinet makers and union representatives sort of noticed that he was a little different, and uh, they didn't have to do much delving to find out that his name was Wai Xing. And so this guy you know, said, you've got to get out of here, son, you should re- resign, you're going to get beaten, you're going to get this and that and the other thing. Despite a traumatic first experience out west, Charles was undeterred. His passion for the family business meant the world to him and nothing was going to stop his dreams for success. His first love was, was furniture and everyone else came second, even his brothers, everybody came second. So he came over, they, he brought a couple of the people that he had employed with him so they had to expand and that's when it started to flourish. And in the early 1900s, the growth was huge. I think innovation-wise, um, they, uh, they didn't just build furniture, they restored furniture. They did um, the trays on the backs of trucks. Uh, they did uh, carriages, horse-driven carriages. They did the gramophones. Richard Rennie in his book, Encyclopedia of Western Australian Wirelesses and Gramophones, makes mention of, of, uh, of Washing Brothers as being the finest um, gramophone makers in Western Australia, which I thought was rather nice. The Oxford Theatre down in um, Leederville was totally decked out by Washing Brothers. They made all the chairs and did all that. The other thing that's really interesting, which which gave him a, a bit of an edge, was that he was pretty canny with the way he did things. Um, would cost money. He negotiated with a car dealer down the road and the car dealer used to get their cars in from France and they're in wooden crates. So he bought the crates for nothing just about, just to get them off the premises. And that's, he'd stockpile that wood and then make the furniture from the wood. And I guess that set them apart and it also kept them alive because they were deemed to be a Chinese company and they were really looking to get rid of these people. Australian unions and European businessmen looked at people like Charles and other Asian workers with jealous concern. They wanted to ensure they kept their stronghold on business profits to themselves. Putting increasing pressure on the Australian government to end what they saw as foreigners stealing their money and good white men's jobs, the Factories Act was implemented in 1904. It was a desperate attempt to eradicate Asian businesses entirely. So at the time of the Immigration Restriction Act, or the White Australia Policy, uh, the census showed there were 1,600 Chinese out of a population of almost 200,000. So it was like 0.01 of a percent. But if you were to read the newspapers of the day, you would have thought the state was being flooded by Chinese. That's Kayleen Poon, Honorary Historical Advisor for Perth's Chunghua Association, Kayleen assisted David while writing his book on the history of the Factories Act and other important stories of the Chinese community in the 20th century. So there were these immigration restriction acts at that time, which uh, initially started off with one Chinese per 50 tonne of ship's weight. And that also included a £10 poll tax that the captain had to pay per Chinese. After a few years, they increased it to one Chinese per 500 tonne. So that's how paranoid they were about the numbers of Chinese coming into WA. I think the Factories Act was another form of trying to limit the impact that the Chinese in particular were having, especially on the furniture making. They obviously felt they needed to kind of define what a factory was and and how it was run. 
for the Chinese to be in a factory, basically you had to employ just one Chinese to be classified as a factory. It was just staggering. And so for anyone that had a Chinese in their business, they had to register annually and pay a a five-pound fee to be a factory. Um, It didn't say anything about if you were, you know, a Caucasian business. The Chinese were also only allowed to work the same hours as women and children, which were daylight hours. And my father pointed out that if a Chinese had a laundry or a bakery, particularly in summer, you would want to work before sunrise and after sunset, but no, you weren't allowed to. You know, you had to work within those hours. Chinese that were selling or even reselling furniture had to stamp all their products. And um, the trade unions were mainly behind this because they were trying to get their consumers to just buy products that weren't made by Asians. And uh, I've seen this ad that was, I think, in one of the uh, Eastern States magazines and it was, you know, is your furniture made by white or yellow labour? By bringing in that act, they really did get what they wanted. There was a lot of um, Chinese factories that just went down under. Some went back to China if they could afford it. Some just were left destitute. Some went to the country and had their little market gardens and things. You know, it was a, it was a, a really tough time. The Factories Act was just one part of the ongoing difficulties that Charles and his family had to face in order to see their business succeed. The first premises they were in, uh, you talk about hardship, um, there was a mysterious fire that broke out in the, of all places, the inflammables rooms. And there were two of them at the front. It just smells of arson. There were several Chinese that actually slept on the premises. And, um, you know, you read the article from the paper and the journalist says, you know, that two Chinese escaped with their pigtails singed. And you go, really? But... Yeah, it reeked of arson. And why? It was perfect timing. Their factory was full of completed furniture. They were ready to transfer stuff. So this was a major disruption. The family was not going to just roll over and let the unionists defeat them. One of Charles's brothers, Albert Washing, wrote a fiery letter to the paper of the day, expressing his anger at being treated so unjustly as a result of his appearance. Here, David reads aloud the letter that Albert wrote all those years ago. And it goes, and I quote, I observed that it was decided all furniture made on the premises of a Chinese employer should be stamped. I feel a most unjust stigma and reproach has been put upon us. Why a half-caste Chinese is assumed to be more degraded than a half-caste Englishman, which I am, I fail to understand. I also fail to understand why, because a half-caste follows the trade of a furniture maker, he should be singled out for special and degrading legislation. Why, again, I ask, is this stigma put on us half-castes? I mean our being treated as if we were aliens and foreigners. It took uh, the likes of uh, the washings and uh, Louis Wa, who was a very successful merchant in Melbourne, to kind of band together and kind of say we need to have a voice for the community because there was all this kind of discrimination from the top level right down and they felt what if they wanted to stay here and be part of the community, they needed to have a voice. 
and, and that's how the Chunghua was, was founded. Despite repeated attempts from the European unions to shut down the washing business premises, Charles managed to evade them and find clever, sometimes even law-bending ways of keeping the factory afloat. They did what they had to do in order to survive, and the business continued on for many decades, only closing down as recently as 1968. Reluctantly, the union and the government had to contend with or accept that they were, in fact, European. They were born in Australia. So they actually started stamping their furniture, European labour only. Never, ever were they beaten. Uh, The government and the unions were the ones that were beaten, which is good to know. To this day, you can find a small street in the bustling suburb of Northbridge called Washing Lane, named so after the hard-working washing family and all that they achieved. The lane sits between many other flourishing Asian businesses, as well as a thriving Chinatown, constant reminders of a multicultural community and identity here in Perth that, against all odds and discrimination, have managed to live on. In writing his book, which was based on years of research done by his brother Michael, David has been on a journey and a half in getting to know more about his family, himself, and a different side to our collective story of what it means to be Australian. And Kayleen hopes that Charles Washing's story will remind us of the ongoing need for compassion towards other immigrants and marginalised communities living in WA. I think, you know, we should be looking at people for who they are, not what they look like, you know, what their contributions are. And, um, and that goes for you know, even the, the current refugees. We have to look at them and say, these are people. What can they contribute? Australians are made up of many, many different races these days. The only pure blood Australians are our First Nation people. Uh, everyone else has come in from somewhere else. Am I proud that I've got Chinese blood? Yeah, yeah, I am. This podcast was commissioned by the City of Perth and produced by Louisa Mitchell from the Centre for Stories. Editing and soundtrack by Mason Velios and research and scripting support from Kayleen Poon and Claudia Mancini. Special thanks to David Kennedy and Kayleen Poon. Thanks for listening.